G'day and welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Murch and we're well into season five. This particular season are extended chats being released. With season six, we'll head back to more of the magazine format. So you'll hear the extended chat with our guest today. Thanks very much if you've listened to our chats with Lisa Caruso last episode. We also had Charles Firth from The Chaser. And we got all jazzy with the rookies as well. Kelly Lang, friend of Olivia Newton-John, joined us recently as well. Next episode will be our 150th and a special catch-up back during the Fringe with Zoe, Z-O-E. But for now, let's head into our feature guest for today. Holding Pattern is the third album from Hannah Cameron. Previous full-length releases are Blow My House Down from 2015 and I Lay Where You Lie, released in 2018. Hannah has toured and played with the likes of On Diamond, The Paper Kites, Mimi Gilbert and Missy Higgins. The new album traces a flight path over recent life and with the latest single, The Wrong Way, musings on unspoken conversations. Freshly back from Glasgow to Australia, Hannah joined Radio Notes for this chat. Hannah Cameron, welcome to Radio Notes. Thanks so much for having me. You've just come back from Glasgow as a special guest of Graying, who have their EP out called Greenhouse. So it's actually Grayling and she is actually just someone that I met through a friend of a friend that show was kind of just a one-off I was I was in Europe and the UK for a holiday more than anything else and this show just came up and it was so nice like I went to Glasgow and played this show but also got to meet all these beautiful people and went and climbed up uh, the hill next to Loch Lamond and swam in the lake that was sort of a yeah nice spontaneous thing that happened Normally when you travel to Europe, would that be part of this like multi-month tour that you might be doing away from home? Uh, I've done two of those with the paper kites. This was the longest holiday that I've ever done in Europe. More recently, like my time in Europe has been mostly like once one day in in a city and then kind of moving on. It was really nice to be able to spend a bit more time in each place and just settle in a bit. Are you attracted to summer, to the heat? I would say like 23 degrees to 29 degrees would be my happy place temperature-wise. Once it gets above 30, it's like a little bit, I get a little bit uncomfortable and then I was there for the heat wave in Italy, which was like 35 to 40. That's a bit hot, but that's a bit too much for me because I'm also a person who's got a lot of moles and so I have to be very sun smart (laughs) and um so yeah I I do I do like summer but not beyond 35 degrees that seven weeks is also in the lead up to this release so was it a chance for you to distance yourself from the recording and get maybe fresh ears and fresh eyes around what you were trying to tell the world yeah I think when I booked it originally It was mainly like my sister's moved over to the UK. So it was mainly just a chance to see her. And then I thought it would be nice to get some space from, from things because I think things are about to get quite busy in retrospect, maybe not the best idea to uh, go on holidays just before your album's going to come out because a lot of emails coming through every day. Like I didn't feel like I totally uh, disengaged from it, but I do feel like I came back ready to do some work. So that's, that's always a nice feeling. Like I feel excited to be able to you know, get stuck back in. 
The travel or particularly the flying from A to B across Europe, which can be quite long distances, it brings up that idea of a holding pattern that an aircraft would have. And my understanding from the release and the listen of the full record is maybe that holding pattern you have for your emotions before landing to an idea of where you feel about something. The, the title came from, I, I'm very bad at naming albums. I find it really difficult. And I just happened to be going through a notebook and I've, I just had written down somewhere holding pattern. I'm not sure why. And I had been pouring over the songs trying to figure out what the common thread was. And I think that sort of title resonated because it, it did feel like all of those songs were written during a time when I was sort of, I felt caught in sort of patterns or cycles of behaviour. I don't know that I was conscious of it, but I think I was sort of trying to move through those patterns and, and break out of those patterns. The writing became, I guess, a way of, trying to um, identify the patterns and, and maybe uh, move beyond them. You know, the, the holding pattern, the actual literal holding pattern, it feels like, felt like, yeah, a very direct metaphor for that feeling. And then when you reach the ground, you look at the artwork and it's not telling too much, but it is, in that it gives that idea that you're weaving a narrative or unpicking a narrative unclear of which of the two it is, but at the same time, making sure it's darn right colourful in its approach. <laughs> is it rivers? Is it roads? Is it bridges on the covers? Who knows? Only, only <laughs> Hannah knows. Yeah, only me and Morgana Celeste, who's the artist, who just did such an amazing job. I gave her uh, this idea of like an aerial of, you know, from an, from an airplane, like I sort of, that was my one idea that I had. I'm not a very visual person. And we were kind of pouring through. She happened to have this book of artwork, of photographs. I forget, I've forgotten who the um, photographer was, but it was just literally a book of aerial shots, which were really amazing. So that was sort of a starting point. And then she did one based off, loosely off one of those, and then it was amazing. That was That one was amazing. And then she came back and was like, actually, I, I think I just want to, like, give it another go. And so she said she listened to the album and sort of painted as she listened to the album and that was what came out. As soon as I saw it, I was like, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> and so, again, it is based upon, as much as you may not have known at the time by what you'd written down, it is very much about that above-the-land sort of eagle-eye view of what's happening. Mm, yeah, that's true. I don't even know that I was... Yeah, it's sort of, I, I feel like some of these things happen by accident, like almost like a it's the subconscious at work or something. This album definitely does feel like uh, there's, I don't know, a perspective or an awareness to it that you can kind of only have from that vantage point. Yeah, I guess that that is like a visual like representation of, of that feeling. Before we go any further, we should pick up on the latest single from the album, which is called The Wrong Way. This song is about having difficult conversations with difficult people. I'm not very good at confrontation and I also am someone who always feels like I want to make a situation feel right or resolved and I think there are certain situations just that are never going to feel that way and there are certain conversations that are never going to go the way that 
I hope that they're going to go. And I, yeah, I think that this song was me kind of trying to have the conversation without having the conversation because I felt like, yeah, I knew how it was going to go. Talk to us about the importance of the baritone guitar throughout this record because it's a new voice for you, isn't it? Or or maybe mm. it's more of a, I want to say a duet because it, it's not even your voice, but it's how your voice communicates with mm. the baritone. That's a really, yeah, that's a really nice observation. I sort of started playing it almost like in desperation because I was just feeling quite bored with everything else that I was playing on normal guitar and I picked it up one day. I played a little bit of baritone in On Diamond, but I never really even thought to write with it because I think the types of chords that I played on a regular guitar didn't translate as well on baritone. Can you talk us through that story of how Lisa from On Diamond Mm. wanted you to play some baritone and you had to go and figure it all out? Yeah, I, I think that there's a song called Light from the album the On Diamond album, there's a bass line in that that maybe she tuned down her guitar. Oh, you've got the vinyl there. So it is called Light. It's too loud outside. I can't get any rest. Is that the song you're thinking of? That's the one. So I had the baritone lying around, but I feel like in On Diamond, I got to do all of these things and try things that I never would have if I hadn't have been in that band. It it was definitely the thing that got me playing electric guitar and, you know, playing with a bit more crunch and a bit more drive. And I think that it's really how I found a bit of a voice on guitar. I had a really minimal setup, both like with the baritone and with my regular electric, where it was just an overdrive pedal and my amp. It was nothing fancy, but trying to find a sound and like Scott, who plays in that band, so amazing with sounds and... Yeah, it just was a really nice, there was a really nice synergy and it was a really great learning experience, I think. In relation to working with other musicians and that education that you get from that experience, being part of a group of musicians. Yeah, I think I definitely learn the most about music and playing from playing with other people in other bands. I've been playing keys in certain bands and like in this latest Paper Kites record that I was really, you know, really lucky to be invited to play on. I was playing Hammond, which I've never played really before. It pushes me outside of my comfort zone in a way that is fun. But, you know, it's much easier to do those things when you're playing with other people. Dare I ask, when did you pick up the tambourine? Oh, really quite recently yes. how much I've been playing of it. Like, it's so... The tambourine is so hard, and nobody is talking about how hard the tambourine is. I could not play the tambourine to save myself two years ago. Like, I remember playing it... I can't remember who I was playing a gig with, but they asked me if I could play some tambourine. And I was like, yeah, I'll play some tambourine. Give it a, You know, I'll just pick it up on the gig. And I, I was yeah. like, no... Time moves horizontally when you're playing the tambourine and there's no other, like when you're playing piano, the motion is up and down and the same with guitar, the motion is up and down. Tambourine is just so confusing when you first start and it's it's very hard. Um, but I've honestly played more tambourine than probably any other instrument other than maybe guitar in the last 
two years. I saw some footage recently of you as part of Missy Higgins' live band, and there's Sarah Belkner looking across, giving you a huge <laughs> affirmation that you had hit it, hit the tambourine in the right way. Thank God. <laughs> it's very obvious when you hit it in the wrong way. It's a really amazing band. I've been filling in for Alana Stone. She was on maternity leave. A lot of the session work that I get has been like maternity leave fill-in work, which is amazing. And it's so nice to feel like you can support people while they're having babies. I wouldn't be surprised if Missy has listened to some of the songs on this new record. Has she? Yeah, she came to my gig at the Brunswick Ballroom, which was so nice. When you got that guitar at 21, is it still with you? Does it still serve you well? got my first nylon string guitar. That was my 21st birthday present. Before that, I think I had just, I think I had a Maiden before that that was like a steel string, but this was the first sort of nice, not that the Maiden wasn't nice, but this sort of felt like my sound a bit more. Getting really into like Joan Byers, like finger-picking stuff around that time, listening to a lot of Laura Marling. I still have that guitar. I was playing that guitar today, in fact. Is it still inspiring some tunes? Yeah, it's not. I haven't been writing on it as much, but I still really like playing it and, and learning songs on it. I'm doing this show, Songs from the Canyon, playing mostly acoustic guitar, or entirely acoustic guitar on that show. So I've been practising some Joni Mitchell and some Crosby, Stills and Nash on that one. And that also gets you to work with other musicians. I think guests of the podcast, Charmer Finches, are on board for this one as yeah. well. We're doing a show at the Palais um, in April next year that's just been announced. But yeah, there's Charmer Finches, Husky, Dan Kelly, Dan Chalice, and Steve Grady. And yeah, everyone sort of is just super amazing. And I feel like very deeply connected to that world of music. Singing those songs is a total dream. To be able to do it in these venues that we're starting to play at is, is really amazing as well. What is bringing you back to doing these songs over and over? They just never, I mean, they never get old, that's for sure. That was definitely the music that was in my ears growing up. My parents listened to a lot of that stuff. There was a lot of Carole King and um, Joni Mitchell, uh, Neil Young. Like, that's definitely, I, d I didn't necessarily appreciate it at the time, <laughs> but um, it was in the house and there's that. But, you know, people like Joni Mitchell are just, you know, Joni's my, my probably biggest musical influence those songs even today I was learning how to play will you still love me tomorrow and like I know that song but learning to play it just gives you a whole new appreciation yeah it lets you kind of do just go deep I guess on the writing and the playing in a way that you don't necessarily when you're just listening lyrically I've always appreciated the poetic elements of your songwriting is Joni tapping into that or are there other artists that have influenced that poetic side that you have and maybe they are just poets that I've never heard of? I think, like, Joni lyrically is just so amazing but, I, you know, I feel like I, <laughs> she is so far in the distance in terms of, like, what I would aspire to. You know, I definitely listened to a lot of Leonard Cohen growing up and like, people like... Nick Drake and Simon and Garfunkel, they were sort of the more, like the earlier, more formative influences, I guess. But 
Laura Marling, Feist, like in terms of more current people, Adrienne Lenker, Wise Blood, Anais Mitchell I really love. I feel like I'm so inspired by people in my community. There's so many amazing songwriters and lyricists in Melbourne and Australia. When you're going to see those artists, how do you feel inside about their work and what they're able to achieve in Australia? I feel sort of both inspired and proud because I feel like I feel very lucky that a lot of them I can call my friends. Yeah, there's just so much incredible music coming out at the moment. When I was overseas, I would sort of wake up every morning and it would feel like another amazing song had come out. Yeah, it just makes me feel so grateful to be a part of this community. And, And when I go away, you know, London is amazing. Overseas, it's all amazing, but honestly, I don't think there's anywhere that I would rather be making music in the world. Matt Redlick, the producer Mm. of this record. Matt has a really nice approach in that it's very focused on capturing the band and the live sort of energy of the band, and I am really lucky that I work with two of the best. I mean, maybe I'm biased, but I'm also not biased because they're very in demand, but, you know, I'd say two of the best rhythm section players in the country, Lee Fisher on drums and Luke Hodgson on bass. I definitely enjoyed this way of tracking. I'm a perfectionist and I can get a bit too micro when I'm recording and doing it in this way sort of makes you take a bit of a step back and be like, oh, no, that that's the take, even if there's a few notes that maybe I wouldn't have chosen (laughs) to have played in that way sort of like the greater good of the take is the main thing with smells like leaving again this idea of planes and travel and waiting and and thinking and yes it makes me think that there's a lot of thinking time between maybe tour dates that you've done as we've mentioned previously Mm. you go away for months on end but it's those not downtime but travel times when you get to think Mm. Yeah, well, that one, I actually wrote it during one of the many lockdowns here, but it was almost like I was doing this songwriting exercise that was sort of word association and the words that came up sort of just made me think of that experience of being away on tour. And and so that sort of became the, the imagery, I guess, from that song. Yeah, it's sort of about being on tour. It's sort of about I really hate leaving places. Every time that I have to leave, even if it's like regardless of whether I'm leaving and going somewhere new or leaving and coming home, there's always a certain like anxiety or like fear or something that sort of is stirred up. That sort of ended up being what it was about, even though I wasn't fully cognizant of that as I was writing it. Is that a need for predictability in your surroundings? Maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. I should probably talk to a therapist about it. (laughs) Um, I think I, you know, I do definitely enjoy routine and structure. I've always felt that way about leaving a place. And I always know that, you know, I know what it is now and I I can rationalise it, but it's still the same feeling every time. Radio Notes, released first as podcast, can also be heard on Radio Worldwide.
Our very special guest today is Hannah Cameron. The album that's just been launched is called Holding Pattern. My question to you, Hannah, is what art have you been enjoying lately? Ooh. Oh, okay. So I went to see in Paris this really amazing collection. It was Andy Warhol and Jean. Okay, hold on. Let me look up the guy's name now because now I've, of course, blanked on it. Jean-Michael Besk. Besquick? Yes, 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 yes. How do I know that? I don't know. I'm so bad at remembering names. Jean-Michel Basquiat. So I went to see this exhibition that was Andy Warhol and Jean-Michel Basquiat um, at the Louis Vuitton Foundation in Paris. That was a really incredible exhibition because it was so collaborative, their process. And I never knew anything about Jean-Michel Basquiat. I'm not an art expert. Um but, yeah, I really loved that exhibition and, yeah, felt quite moved by the art and the, the, the sort of working relationship that they had. So many artists, I guess, were working with Warhol out of the factory during those times, mm. but to actually have that one insight, one insight of a duet, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, they're also just really nice artefacts from their friendship and their working relationship there was a really hilarious um letter from Anna Wintour sort of like a rejection letter to both of them saying basically like hey really you know loved this stuff and you know would love to include it in an edition down the track but it's just we think it's a bit too depressing a bit some of the themes are too dark for Vogue or something and I just you know it was, it was nice to be reminded that even Andy Warhol got rejection letters from Anna Wintour. <laughs> Considering you've just come off seven weeks of quote-unquote holidays, yeah. what is some of your favourite places to go to and why, particularly from the holiday aspect of mm. Okay, well, Italy was definitely a highlight. I went to Puglia, which was so beautiful. One of my favourite places in Puglia was... Monopoli, which is just a really beautiful seaside town, just the you know incredible swimming and that. But then you you also get the spectacle of Italians lying on the like beach like lizards. Everyone's like out in their kit. It's just feels very authentic as far as like an Italian holiday experience. And then I went to this island off the coast of Sicily called Favignana. I'm sure I'm butchering all of these pronunciations but I've never seen water as blue as the water in these beaches you get back from the beach and you have the most amazing focaccia of your life and they're serving you cannoli the size of your hand for breakfast um probably the size of my head to be honest um Italy and those two places were highlights for sure you mentioned swimming is that something that's very much part of your daily routine or only for holidays I love swimming. I've sort of just come back to actually doing laps this year. I grew up in Queensland, so I grew up going to the beach quite a lot and it was just something that we did at school, like you do swimming in PE. I didn't consider myself to be very good at, at it. I was never competitive with it. But I did get into it when I started uni. I did like a little bit of swimming as exercise, but during COVID, like I just couldn't because I was not in a 5k radius of a beach and there were no pools open 
but yeah, at the start of this year, I've, yeah, I've just been doing laps at least once a week. And my friend, I don't know if you'd know Hannah Crofts from all our exes live in Texas. She started a swim club called Never Regret a Swim Club. That sort of has kept going. I, I went for a swim this morning, actually. What is the thought process when you're doing the laps or is there no thought process at all? I'm honestly just usually trying to, to, to remember which lap I'm up to. <laughs> um, I think it's just a, like that almost is the meditation is just like what number lap am I up to and the breathing, trying to focus on the breathing and the form a bit. But yeah, it's, I don't do very much deep thinking when I'm swimming, I don't think. There's too much going on, the breathing, the counting the laps. Stupid question. What's your favourite stroke? Oh, freestyle. Yeah, freestyle for sure. Not a stupid question. I don't know. Great question. I know nothing about (laughs) swimming. I mean, I feel like freestyle and breaststroke to me feel like the only sensible strokes. Backstroke maybe, but you hit your head on things when you do backstroke. And butterfly, whoever thought that butterfly was a good idea is just a total masochist. It's just a ridiculous stroke. What's your favourite karaoke song? Because you might have done a bit whilst you were touring. I'm really bad at karaoke. It's a great question. I actually don't know. My thing with karaoke is that I think that to be good at karaoke, you've got to be either just like really good, like amazing, like a singer with chops, you know, a singer who can do crazy melisma and belt out an incredible high note, or you've got to be really funny. And I feel like I'm neither of those things in the context of karaoke. And so it always ends up just being a bit awkward and, like, I'm, I'm trying to be funny, but actually I can't help but be a bit sincere and everyone just feels a bit uncomfortable. Let's talk about other observations of the world. Do you live on top of a shop or have over the time? Yeah, well, I've lived here for 10 years. I'm actually looking out, the, like, so... There's not that much going on on this street. People sort of refer to it as Bermuda Triangle of Melbourne. It's like a weird one where it's like a main road, but there's not very much going on, even though there's lots going on in neighbouring suburbs. There's cars going past and during lockdown, I wake up really early. I wake up at like 5.30am because I really like the mornings and I would sort of sit here and write in the morning and look out while the sun was coming up. Is that part of a broader meditation program or is that just thought process? Uh, The writing or the early mornings? Early morning. I just got really into it in lockdown and I do do like a bit of meditation. I'm not, I'm I'm definitely, uh, I've got a long way to go with meditating. I have a, a morning routine that's very much like set in stone now that I feel strange if I don't start my day with the sort of like I meditate and then I do some writing. It's usually just me brain draining onto a piece of paper. I like make myself a coffee and write and then do some sort of exercise and start the day. But I love the feeling of having done all of those things by like 7 (laughs) a.m. Makes me feel quite smug. What are you reading at the moment? What am I reading at the moment? Promising Young Women is what I'm reading at the moment. I've literally just started it. Carolina Donahue, who has a podcast that I like. Sort of a holiday read. I get in certain moods with reading um, and 
I think my mood on holiday is just that I want something light and maybe have a few laughs, not have to get too down in the dumps about life. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that seemed like, I mean, I'm literally 20 pages in, but so far that seems to be the vibe. What is it about this podcast and what other podcasts have you been listening to? I love podcasts. Her podcast, (laughs) actually the one that I really like, which is, a guilty pleasure is uh, Sentimental in the City, where she and Dolly Alderton went through <laughs> individual episodes of Sex in the City and discussed, which really got me through some tough times in lockdown, uh, listening to them and watching Sex in the City. It's like my comfort food equivalent of TV and podcasting. We mentioned about the artwork of this album. Can you tell us a little bit more about when you first met the artist of the artwork? So Morgana is a really good friend of mine, which made the whole process way more fun. I don't think very visually, so it's really helpful to have people in my life who do think visually. And I have several pieces of her art in my house because she really is like probably my favourite artist in Melbourne. Yeah, I just was talking to her. I was like, would you maybe consider doing the art? And, yeah, she was very enthusiastic and helpful and supportive. That was it, the process. And, you know, the process that I talked about before of showing her some of those reference pics and but then she uh, eventually kind of went and did her own thing with it, which I was so grateful for. Talking about the visual element then, what is that process like for getting what needs to be done these days for records, the music video clips and also those things that get used on Spotify, whatever they call those things? Mm, canvases. Is that what they're called? Yeah, a canvas. Yeah. Right. They're very annoying. <laughs> I, I just want to see the album artwork. <laughs> Should be an optional experience. You know, because it's just something on loop, on loop. For the visual elements of this album in terms of the canvases and the video clips? I just seem to have landed myself very, like, talented friends. So Nick McKinley did the Take the Blame video and sort of all of the visual, accompanying visuals for that, which was awesome. And for The Wrong Way, that was shot by my friend Andy Johnson, he came to the studio while we were recording the first five songs from the album and sort of just shot studio footage. And then my friend Bridget Winton edited that together and it was graded by my friend Mike Ridley. So, yeah, it's just been like a nice collaborative effort. And if I didn't have those people, I would be absolutely screwed because if I had to do that by myself, although... Smells Like Leaving, I did that one by myself, which was like a nice experiment, but that was a rare idea that I had. Um, And I also was in bed with COVID at the time, so I had lots of time to play around and edit it. That was Um, the footage that you already had? Yeah. So I sort of, I remember, I was looking through my camera roll when I made that and there was all of this, I just had shot all of these, videos from the tour bus when I was on tour with the Paper Kites in America and Europe and it felt like what the song was about and so yeah I just played around with editing that together 
Um, and it's, it's nothing fancy, but I like it. <laughs> you mentioned Bridget Winton. Mm. Is that the musician Winton that I discovered yes. through your playlist? Yes. So Thank she you. Is, she does all of the visuals as well for Maple Glider and is an incredible visual artist and also an incredible singer-songwriter and it's just not fair that someone should be that good at so many things. In 2023, you are heading to Big Sound. I'm taking my band, Lee and Luke, my drum and bass player up. Yeah, I'm really excited. I haven't played any of the songs from this album in Brisbane and I'm from Brisbane originally, so I think it's going to feel really nice to play that music up there. I do feel like Big Sound is a fairly... It's a daunting place and I definitely feel um, nervous, but uh, I'm, I'm excited and I feel sort of, I think like for the first time this year, I just feel really, I don't know, secure. I think playing with my band so much and having gone through the process of playing all of these songs live as we were recording them, the process of playing them live for an audience just feels really natural and really easy in terms of like trying to make the music translate because we sort of did all of that work before we recorded it. So yeah, I'm hoping that I just get to play some nice shows with my band and that hopefully people come. Hannah, before you do leave us today, I want to talk about album track, if you don't mind, and get some insights. Off the album Holding Pattern is a tune called Repeat. So I wrote Repeat actually as a, it was another songwriting exercise was the starting point organization called school of song who get really amazing guest lecturers instructors in so this particular course was luke temple i took a bunch of them during lockdown to sort of get a bit inspired and the one with luke temple was really interesting i found a lot of the exercises really outside of my comfort zone like this song i think that the limitation was to use two chords i think i cheated a bit you don't actually have to stick to the rules. That's just the starting point. And to use <laughs> one word in the chorus. And I was so annoyed by that exercise. And so this was sort of my, like, rebellion. I was like, well, I'm going to write a song that uses one word and the word is going to be repeat. But it also totally mirrored the experience that I was having of just feeling very frustrated by the experience of, of lockdown and just the general existential dread that I was experiencing around that time. I really like that about songwriting exercises. I wouldn't have written that song without those limitations. I think they sort of force you to push the boundaries a little bit and move beyond your usual writing habits and move beyond like your comfort zone musically. The limitations or just having an idea to then work mm. with. And what I like about Repeat also, I guess in the broader picture, is it punctuates the B-side and saying, hey, still got a bit more to go. Mm. Sitting there at number seven, we've got three more to go. We're going to get you through it. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, I, I really laboured over the track order as well. Can you talk to us about that process, that labouring that you went through? Because you've nailed it on the head. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot. Well, actually, I have to credit my friend Angie McMahon with uh, I'm pretty sure that this was her suggested track order. I had given a few different versions um, and I'd sent it to a few friends to get feedback and I'm pretty sure that, that Angie was the one who suggested whatever the tweaks were that made it end up in this order. And then I showed it 
to Matt, my producer, and and he agreed. And yeah, so but before that, I had honestly, I had sent myself a bit mad before that. And Angie and I had been living together, and I sort of was like, "Can you help me?" <laughs> yeah, I think she she nailed it. Since you mentioned that, Angie McBarton has a new record. In less than ten words, can you give us your feelings about Angie's new record? Okay, I'm really bad at doing things in five words, but I just think it is the record that we all need in our life. Like even just the first few singles that have been coming out, I feel like they're like mantras or something. It feels so powerful and so, um, I don't know, Angie's music is always moving, but I feel like this new stuff is powerful and moving in a different way, in a really uplifting way and feels so true to who she is as a person and yeah I'm really I'm really excited for the album a lot of those words could be said about holding pattern that's just been released from Hannah Cameron thanks very much for joining radio notes thank you so much Hannah Cameron latest album holding pattern available now features the tunes the wrong way take the blame and smells like leaving can find her online at hannahcameron.net side note Angie McMahon's latest Light, Dark, Light Again is to be released 27th of October, 2023. Thanks very much to our feature guest, Hannah Cameron, for joining us today. Next episode will be our 150th and Zoe will be our special guest for that. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. <laughs>